Hey, it's Tony and Jenny Bruski from Real Ghost Stories Online. You know, we love doing this show for you every single week, but doing the show is not free. So if you enjoy the show, we ask maybe uh, consider helping us out a bit and supporting it. You can do that by becoming an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com. EPP means extra podcast person. You get an extra podcast for your support of the show. Every single week, we send you a brand new one. And you get access to our past archive of EPP episodes as well. Right now, that's more than 15 bonus episodes along with the weekly episode that you'll be getting every single week for only five bucks a month. If you like the show, help keep us on the air. And become an EPP at realghoststoriesonline.com today. And thank you. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, sometimes after a loss, we just need a sign that our loved one is okay. And that's exactly what one listener describes in her story. In an area where voodoo is practiced, a girl fears she'll be the next victims of the witch's curse. If someone claimed to know what your future held, would you listen to them? A listener tells his experience and how it all made sense later. And after filling a home with secondhand treasures, one man feels he has incidentally brought spirits into his house. Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again. Hello. Filling his house, is that like antiques, secondhand treasures? Or? Secondhand treasures. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Is this, did this confirm to you more reasons not to antique? It didn't help the campaign for antiquing, <laughs> which is hard because that was one of the things I used to do if I had nothing else to do on a weekend. So just because you won't, just because you won't buy them anymore, you don't even like, does it take the fun out of doing it? Well, what's the fun of antiquing if you know you're just not going to get anything? I don't know. It was rare that I ever bought anything in an antique store, but I like looking around at stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I know unless it was like really on the prowl for something, which was kind of rare. Mm-hmm. I just like looking at, you know, whatever random things I can find. It's kind of fun as, as we get a little bit older, seeing a lot of things from our childhood that start, start to pop up. Yeah. In the antique stores, which is interesting because I remember going to antique stores as a kid with my parents. And they would be like, oh, I remember I, I had this as a child. And I thought, my God, that looks so old and rustic. It does. <laughs> and now it's like I'm seeing stuff from our childhood. And it's like, yeah, that looks kind of old and rustic. Or, or, or some of it doesn't, but some of it kind of does. Oh, yeah. I just wonder how much or how, uh, how old it looks to our children, if the perspective is still there, if, it, if that, those sort of things that... That we had look as as dramatically old as some of the things our parents had. Because remember looking at some of the stuff they had, it was like very different, like tin toys or things that they. You know, there's a lot of toys that we had in our childhood that are still produced pretty similarly. Yeah. So it's not such a dramatic difference, I would say. Well, and even some of the toys that our parents had when they were, you know, toddlers or preschool. Mm-hmm. I think it's Fisher Price. They've come back out with that same line sure. of the the retro looking, but they're new toys. Yeah, yeah. So those are like grandma and grandpa's toys to our kids when yeah. they look at those. I remember a lot of those things we had like in like the nursery at like um, like the church 
uh-huh. or something, which is funny because uh, the the one that we just started going to, uh, the church, um, it's it's funny. Just thinking back to the nursery that I remember going to as a child, which was literally. Uh, when it wasn't Sunday, it was pretty much a closet, like a storage space. Oh, wow. But then on, on Sunday, they kind of cleared it out a little bit, and then they had like all the old toys in there, and a lot of it was the Fisher-Price uh-huh. wooden, you know, wind-up stuff, you know, stuff sure. that was discontinued for, you know, because <laughs> children were dying from choking on them and such. Oh. Uh, but hey, have the kids play with it. Um, but that's all it was. It was like a little room, and I think it was like a table in the middle, and that sort of stuff, and one person watching the kids. Uh-huh. And now comparing it to like what like our church has for a nursery, it's like this fake downtown with street lights and pavement and well, but that's marquees. For the, that's for the preschool area. But still, I mean, we never had that even in the older kids area. The older kid area was like offices that were like second, you know, like, well, open up these for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like nothing remotely like that. It's just crazy. It's cool. Uh-huh. I suppose it makes you more excited to go. Yeah. But uh, just just the change in what uh, what's available these days. So good times. Yeah. Eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is the phone number uh, to call into Real Ghost Stories online to share your real ghost story with us. Let's kick off the show today with a letter that uh, was written into us. Uh, this one comes into us uh, from Jenny. Jenny says, "I have a few stories revolving around the paranormal that have happened to me and my family." I'll be sharing those in the future, but for now, I want to share a story that's more on the heartwarming side of the paranormal. Growing up, we had a family dog named Britta. She was a beautiful Brittany Spaniel, and she was a sweetheart and an old soul. I'm an only child, so she and I grew very close over the years. She could be a bit of a wimp, and she was terrified of thunderstorms, so we had a ritual. Whenever a storm came around, which is pretty often in summer here in South Jersey, I'd cover her in a blanket and hold her while she shook. She also had a boyfriend down the street named Jack, an Irish terrier, and they'd play in each other's backyards almost daily throughout their lives. Anytime Britta escaped, she'd run to Jack's house. She came to mean a great deal to my parents and I, as well as our neighbor, Christine, who owned Britta's friend Jack. Unfortunately, at the age of 10, Jack had kidney failure and had to be put to sleep. Britta was also getting into her older years by that time, and I could tell she lost some of her spark when Jack stopped coming around. At age 13, my beloved dog had begun to lose her sight and hearing, as well as control of her legs, so we decided it would be best to put her to sleep and send her home. I will admit, I had the hardest time of uh, the three of us, and the day before we took her in, I walked around the house crying. Of course, Britta would come to me, wagging her tail and panting, trying her best to comfort me, which only made it worse. The vet visit was one of the hardest things I've had to do in my 27 years so far. I made sure she saw me in the room with her, and that my mom was going to stay with her until it was over. She had extreme separation anxiety from my mom, but when the doctor inserted the needle that would free her from her aching body, I quietly left the room. I couldn't bear to watch her slip away. I ran out of the office like a madwoman in complete hysterics, literally. I think I scared the receptionists. I had been her friend and her protector, and now I had no idea where she was or if she was scared, and I could no longer help her. Doubled over in tears in the parking lot of the vets, I prayed for Jack to please come take her home so she wouldn't be scared for even a moment. My parents carried her out, wrapped in a blanket, and told me she had passed away peacefully as if drifting to sleep, and we took her home to bury her. It was a beautiful summer day as we laid her to rest in a peaceful spot in our backyard. 
few hours after her burial, our neighbor and Jack's mom, Christine, came over to see how we were doing. Christine and I were standing by a back glass door, and I was pointing to the far backyard to show her Britta's burial spot. We both saw two big bugs playing around five feet from the outside, right in our line of vision. We both realized at the same time that they were not bugs, but hummingbirds. Never before or since seen a hummingbird in real life. I knew that hummingbirds are a symbol of resurrection in many uh, aboriginal cultures, so this was a massive sign to me from the universe that Britta was alive and well and that Jack had indeed come to take her home. Now, if this was not a big enough sign, there's more. I told my parents about this and explained the significance of the hummingbird and resurrection. Two days later, my mom was down the shore with a friend and called my dad and me, saying that Britta was definitely okay. She said she was sitting on the second floor knitting, and through the sliding glass door, she saw what she thought was a big bug flying around the outside umbrella on the deck. She stopped to inspect it closer, and at the same time, it zoomed directly to the sliding glass door and looked at her before flying away. It was, you guessed it, a hummingbird. I'll say again, none of us had ever seen a hummingbird before or since down the shore either. I love your thoughts on this. I know it brought me a lot of peace of mind, and I want to say to those out there who have lost a beloved pet that they will come back to give you a sign they are all right. You just have to pay attention. Be well. Love the show. I'll be writing or calling with some stories. More on the spooky side soon. You know, I think that may have been part of what that was, you know, seeing the hummingbirds, thinking that that was the closure that she needed, that the two dogs were playing together. And, you know, I hadn't heard about hummingbirds, meaning, you know, resurrection, but I knew a lot of people that, I know of a lot of people that have told me cardinals mean that. If you see a cardinal, it's Mm -hmm. a loved one that's come back to visit. Okay. So it's not a stretch for me to think, you know, maybe hummingbirds are the animal form of a cardinal. (laughs) So does, what I'm wondering about that is, if you see the hummingbird and it's giving you a sign and it's showing up like that, is it a supernatural hummingbird? Like, does it really exist? Or is it like a real life, regular hummingbird that's been possessed to show up and give you the sign? Or is it just nature doing its thing and it was meant to show up, kind of like a meant to be type thing? Maybe a meant to be type thing. Or the only other thing I could think of is like the dogs reincarnated as the birds. I don't really know. Be a pretty quick turnaround, though. It would be. But I, don't, I don't know what the maturity of a hummingbird is or how long it takes once it hatches to start flying around. I don't know. So we'll go with your definitive answer. <laughs> My definitive answer? Yes. Of is it just kind of meant to be and right timing and... Yeah. That, that seems to make the most sense, but I always kind of wondered about that. When people say that they see an animal or, or some something is giving them a sign, mm-hmm. like a living thing that's that's giving them a sign. Like, well, was it possessed to, to be there at that time and, and do those things and take those actions? Is, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think, personally, things are meant to be. Okay. We know that I don't really subscribe to the theory of coincidence. So the sure. fact that, you know, that same day... Mm-hmm they've never seen hummingbirds in their area before that they happen to see those two hummingbirds kind of playing together. Sure. I think it kind of, it means something. It's symbolic. I don't think I've ever seen two hummingbirds together. I don't know. That's pretty rare. I don't know that I've, I maybe 
have seen a couple of hummingbirds in my whole life, but they're, they weren't yeah, here. They're kind of rare to see. Mm-hmm. My parents have them a lot now because they have like one of those fears with the, oh, the syrup uh-huh. in. And they're really neat. They're like giant bugs. <laughs> yeah, but they're <laughs> but, birds. Yeah, but they're birds. But, uh, but they're... Before that, I mean, it, it's very rare to see them. Uh-huh. But very interesting story. I think that that does certainly qualify into the, the paranormal. I think so. 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. If you haven't already done so, please press subscribe on whatever platform it is on. That way you won't miss any episodes and you'll help us grow with the community as well. Angelina writes in, when I was about 10 or 11, I lived in Brazil. There are a lot of people with African roots that used to live where I lived. And even the other people who lived around there were fascinated by black voodoo magic. Others said they could do miracles, and there was always a bunch of strange things happening around the neighborhood. So I went to an uncle's house to spend the weekend. It was about 10 miles away, and there was a neighbor girl there who was uh, I was friends with. She lived in a house that descended down a steep hill. So if you walked in and kept going down the stairs, there were multiple levels of her house, which her family rented to people all the way down. So there I'm calling her, and she didn't answer. Since the gate was open, I went in and walked to her deck to check through the glass door if anyone was home. When I cut my hands up to the door and saw no one, I turned around to go back to the street. Just then, a drumbeat coming from below caught my attention. Now, I knew from stupid stories that the lady who lived downstairs was a Macumbaria? A voodoo witch? I think so. Macumbaria? It sounds like a fun candy. I'm thinking of mambas. <laughs> you are thinking of mambas. <laughs> but I never believed it. Obviously, something about the drumbeat made me cautious about looking down there. And mind you, this was 10 in the morning. When I looked down, there's this lady dressed in regular clothes, spreading chicken bones, and her chicken, chicken blood, rather, all over the concrete yard downstairs. That sounds about normal. How did I know it was chicken blood? She had the chicken with its neck split open in her hand, spraying the blood all over like it was a water hose. She looked up at me so fast, I didn't have time to even think, and I just ran. There was nothing else I could do. Now, the important thing that it was uh, a uh, thing is that I was a black, it was a black chicken. This means, according to local gossip, that she was conjuring up some kind of spell to hurt someone. I know there was black chickens. Yeah. There's all kinds of chickens. I thought it was kind of like orange and white. No, I, I saw one one time that had... It was all black, and then it had, like, really bright blonde feathers. Really? Yeah, it looked like it had Rod Stewart's hair. I'm just not up on my chickens. <laughs> I don't know. When I told my uncle, he did not believe me. So I waited till the next day to go over to the girl's house and look over to see if uh, the blood was there, because it was a lot of blood, and obviously it wasn't. The next time, I went to my uncle's house. I told the neighbor girl, and she said the woman had moved from there and didn't really pay attention to the to my nonsense. The scariest thing was that I was really young, and after the woman moved, I thought she might conjure a spell for me because I saw her and she saw me. It really isn't a scary ghost story, but the thing is that African black magic is really popular in Brazil. People sell their souls to the devil for it to work, so it scared the crap out of me for a long time. I think voodoo, to me, because I know so little about it, is very scary. It's not knowing that's the scariest. I know? think so. And I don't blame her a bit. I think I would have had that same fear for like a good 10 years that I was going to have a spell put on me. Can you like 
cancel out the uh, the the spreading of the chicken blood by taking like another colored chicken or something? Would that symbolize something else and spreading it, or another animal to like? I don't know. It's got to be a way to like even out the the spreading of the chicken blood or the 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 energy of it. Okay. I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. I would think there's, you know, if you're if she was doing something. Uh-huh. I don't think killing another chicken and spraying blood everywhere is going to undo no? the first chicken and the <laughs> blood spraying. I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Just pretty sure that's not going to help. Is there a way to undo a voodoo spell? I have no idea. It's an interesting question. It is. I wonder if anyone knows the answer to that. 855-853-4802. That's our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online to uh, share your real ghost story with us. Uh, of course, you can always write into the website as well, realghoststoriesonline.com. Gary writes in, There was a time growing up when I became quite fascinated by spiritualism. The idea that a person could communicate with the dead, actually see and hear ghosts, was of great interest to me. This was an interest that my mother was actually willing to share with me, and so we ended up taking a couple of trips to a spiritualist church in Hull, England. These sessions were always characterized as demonstrations of clairvoyance rather than speaking with the dead, but that's exactly what these people did. On our second trip, my dad decided to stay at home, muttering something about it, only encouraging weird activity. But he was always interested in what had happened as uh, at the meetings, of course. He was, I believe, quote, right, or quite right. It did encourage the strange ghostly activity that was going on in our house at the time, and it also made me more open to strange phenomena. Attending a spiritualist church as a teenage boy was interesting in and of itself. The first thing I noticed was that the vast majority of my fellow visitors were female and well over the age of 50. However, by contrast, the mediums were often younger people. That evening, it was quite a full audience for the demonstration as the medium was highly regarded and he apparently attracted a more diverse audience. It was two or three readings into the evening when his eyes met mine. Young man, he said. I gulped and likely flushed as all eyes suddenly stared at me. I have a man here. He's with me in spirit who would like to warn you about that motorbike that you have. He's showing me that you will have an accident, so be careful. He is young, this man, and he's wearing a motorcycle gear. He passed some time ago, though, said the medium. To be honest, I could barely speak. I just not nodded in acknowledgement, and the medium dully moved on to his next victim. Of course, I was consumed with my own thoughts for the rest of the demonstration. We thought that the young man could have been my dad's brother who had died long before I was born in a motorcycle accident. And yes, I had just recently bought a second-hand Honda C70 motorbike. At the end of the meeting, both the medium and the organizer approached my mother and me. The organizer knew us and lived in the same area that we did. Transpired that the medium wanted to spend time with me. He said that he had some things he wanted to tell me, and so I could come by the next day around 2 p.m. for some tea. We went home and told my dad what had occurred. He was understandably a little upset at the idea of his brother coming through, but he agreed that I should go for the tea and see what the medium had to say. Seance the next day was actually very disappointing at the time. I had fostered this idea that somehow the medium would tell me something really important, meaningful, and deep. 
In fact, we simply sat in the backyard drinking tea and eating cakes, just chit-chatting for an hour or so. After that, the organizer suggested I should leave so as not to tire the medium who'd be giving another session later that day. As I was about to leave, however, the medium looked at me and said, Do you write at all, Gary? Not much. Why? Well, I just wanted to say that you'll one day write a lot. Okay, thank you, I replied. One more thing, Gary. Yes. Be open. I'm sorry? I asked, somewhat puzzled. Be open to spirit. They'll write through you. Don't be afraid. It'll feel quite natural. may not happen for many years yet, but it will, and I think you might just sit from time to time with a pen in hand and a bit of paper and see if it happens. Thank you, I said again, feeling a bitter sense of disappointment. Was that all? Apparently the medium put on an uncharacteristically poor showing later that evening. He was tired from meeting with me, he had claimed. I didn't understand why that should be so, nor really why he wanted to meet with me. At the time, I didn't believe that he had told me anything very much of value at all. About six months later, I visited the University of Hull. They had an open day for prospective students. I was 17 and looking forward to going to university, so I went. Driving back home on my motorbike, as I accelerated away from some traffic lights, I suddenly saw a blur jump out in front of me. I braked as hard as I could, but I hit whatever it was. I heard the yelp of agony as I did so, and then I found myself sliding along the street at about 30 miles an hour until the handlebar hit a pothole and threw me away, gashing a hole in my knee as I went. The bike was messed up. I was okay, although bruised and bleeding, and the poor dog was dead. I felt bad. I felt terribly guilty for killing a dog. I also felt very fortunate that the light had turned red behind me and I wasn't run over by a car. I remembered the medium then, what he had said in the message, and I understood that this was a sign. Now, I do indeed write. I write a lot. And the spirits? Well, they do come through. As the boy in the movie said, I see dead people. This story, and others like it, in My Haunted Life 2 is out now on Kindle. He's written at least two books about his experiences with the paranormal. So that's why this is My Haunted Life 2, because there's My Haunted Life. Okay. I think he posted something on our Facebook wall the other day. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I do recall that. So I thought it was a great story. That was really interesting. Yeah. 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 I, I would love to hear more of his uh, of his stories. I wonder... Okay. Well, so the writing came into play because he began writing books. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. Now, my question is, when you have a medium or somebody in that type of position give you a glimpse of what you might have in store for your future, does it actually influence your future to go that way? Whereas before this, he really didn't consider himself a writer, didn't write much, and just now that thought is in his head. Like just the power of the suggestion? Yes, exactly. I think it could very well influence you one direction or the other, or at least make you try if you're open to it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that his mm-hmm. on his own, but I wonder if he would have tried writing had he not had this experience. Yeah, I mean, it may help you discover a certain skill set that you didn't really realize that you had. I mean, if you're a horrible writer and you try writing, you're still going to be horrible. You're not going to be better at it because a, a ghost told you to or a medium mm-hmm. told you to. But... Uh, it may be one of those things where 
it's kind of like, you know, the universe all kind of lining up and kind of giving you the nudge that you need. Right. Something on some other side going, hey, think about this. Look, you have this gift. Do it. You don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it maybe just comes through the medium. You know, not necessarily needing to be attributed to any one specific person telling you to do it. Just something to be aware of. Right. You know? Very interesting. Love to hear more stories uh, from that writer. Our phone number is 855-853-4802. Here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Uh, Drew in Maryland. Hi. Hey, guys. How's it going? This is Drew calling from Maryland. Um, This is actually my second call because the first one I did, I kind of feel I messed up the story a bit. But anyway, um, yeah, love the show. I've always been interested in the paranormal. And um, growing up, I grew up in... uh, an area of northeastern Pennsylvania where, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but the Smurl House, which was investigated by the Warrens in the mid-80s, um, was right down the road from my house. And also, um, the Wells House in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, which is um, supposedly one of the most haunted places in um, um the East Coast or whatever, what have you. It's been a lot of investigations there. So I've always been exposed to it, but always been interested into into that kind of thing. And uh, I'm just calling about a little story about a place I lived in, in uh, Queenstown here on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. Um, moved into a house in around 2006. And um, the house was, wasn't an old house. It was um, built in the late 70s, early 80s, I believe. I uh, believe. Um, but when we moved in, it was just kind of a weird feeling. Um, you know, kind of like the feeling of being washed, but nothing overwhelming. Um, but um, I would experience stuff like I would keep hearing um, conversations, like faint, um, like someone left the TV on in the other room or something like that. So, um, like upstairs. So I'd go upstairs to see if I left the TV on, nothing. Come back downstairs, sit down. I would hear it all over again. And, um, yeah, that would go on and... I would hear, you know, footsteps and, you know, that kind of stuff. Just very subtle things, but um, on a pretty continuous basis um, here and there. But um, in any event, um, I came home from work one day, and my wife um, at the time had said, hey, uh, I just wanted to tell you, I uh, came home, walked into our bedroom, and saw a man sitting on the edge of our bed staring at the window. And um, it kind of just confirmed all the things that I have been feeling um, and stuff like that. And other things, when we, I would never tell my house guests anything. I wouldn't want to, you know, scare them away or have them <laughs> not want to come around or stay at the house or anything like that. So I kind of kept everything quiet. But, you know, my house guests would say the TV turned on, flip through the channels and turned off or just kind of weird things happen around the house. And, um, uh, but when she had said that she saw someone sitting on the edge of the bed um, staring out the window, um, it kind of brought things to a whole other level. I was pretty shocked by that. And um, so she said she, you know, basically turned around, got freaked out, walked out of the room and turned around and looked back in. And, you know, when she had the guts to look back in, and uh, the man was gone. And um, so that was that. So that was pretty crazy. Um, eventually we ended up selling a washer and dryer that we had and um, these guys came to pick it up Um, the one was a local school bus driver and uh, 
he came and picked it up. He was with a friend of his, and a friend of his um, was walking around the house, and he said, oh, this is the old Hoskins residence. Uh, you know, I used to date Mr. Hoskins' daughter, and, um, you know, I used a lot of memories in this house, and blah, blah, blah. And um, he started to look like he was upset or kind of choked up, and, you know, I thought it was kind of weird, so... I said, you know, um, you know, if you don't mind me asking, you know, why it seems like you're getting a little emotional. Is there any reasons why, uh, you know, you're getting uh, choked up when you talk about it? He's like, oh, uh, I, I didn't know if you knew this or not, but um, Mr. Hoskins had died um, two years ago. And uh, I said, no, geez, I don't, I had no idea. And um, but when he said that, everything clicked. Everything was just, you know, wow, you know, because uh, it was almost two years. Um, almost to the day um, of when my um, wife at the time as that had actually seen the man sitting on the edge of the bed. So it kind of all made sense and uh, clicked that um, it was probably him in my mind. I was thinking about probably just kind of, you know, staying by the house and getting one more look out the uh, out the window before he moved on. But yeah, that's that's that. That's, um, that house had a lot of um, a lot of little stuff here and there. But anyway. Um, just want to run that by and see what you guys thought about it. Uh, just a lot of um, little things here and there. I don't know. It seemed like they nothing was really connected because um, there was a lot of other stuff going on. But besides that, so I don't know whether what pulled, you know, things to that house or, you know, what the reasons were. But um, I know there was a lot of um, Indians in the area and stuff, Native Americans in the area that um, were kind of slaughtered off um, when they settled there. And um, the English, there was uh, the battle on Slippery Hill, which was between the English and us back in 1812, I believe. So I know there was some uh, some violence to the land, and uh, you know I kind of had a history. But uh, just want to run that by you, and um, just say I love your show, and see what you guys thought. Um, I have a lot more stories, stories um, if you guys would like to hear them. And um, take care, bye guys. I think your guess is right. That's probably who it was that came back. Yeah, I think that makes sense. It's always fun when the neighbor's like, hey, I don't know if you know about this, but uh, yeah. so died right there. Oh, well, he didn't die there, yeah. but he obviously loved the home to come back and be there, or he loved the view from the, the bed there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where my first visit back would be. <laughs> Do you know? Where your first visit back would be. Like if I just died and you get that one last glimpse at whatever. No, I don't know where it would be, honestly. No? I mean, I, I would I would think you'd probably want to come back and see your family if, you know, if we were still around. You would think. <laughs> you would think. Well, the first place that came to my mind was the lake where I grew up. Okay. Being out in my rowboat. Okay. Ghost Ginny in the rowboat. Is that where I could look for you as a ghost? If you were to pass first, go Maybe. F- go look out on the lake for... Maybe, but you're so horrible with finding things around here <laughs> after living here for, what, eight, almost nine You've years? You've taken me by there several times. You could not find it with a map. I bet you I know the general area. There's a lot of roads around there. If I just drove around enough, I would find it. And I know exactly what it looks like. I could figure out which one it was. But I, once I hit the road, I'd know where I was. You, it'd be a done deal. You wouldn't find me. <laughs> you can't find your way home from across town sometimes. So, well, that's true. But 
Would you show up like as a dot on my Google Maps? Like, and search Ghost of Jenny and hey, there she is. Yeah. In yeah. The middle of a lake. You look at me on Google Earth, there I am in the boat. <laughs> Shadow figure in the boat. I, I don't know where I would, would pop back up. I mean, if we're just talking like kind of location. Just that, you know how yeah. you see people, you hear of, just like this story, people coming back that one last sure. moment before they, I guess, go on to the other side. Yeah. Or decide to haunt somewhere else, either one. I think if I could pick a place to, to haunt, um, like for a long term, I would be the ghost in the woods up behind my parents' house. Yeah. I would go hang up in my old tree fort area. Mm-hmm. And near, it's like right behind the cemetery. And uh, yeah, I would be the ghost that's in the woods freaking people out. Kids going back there and playing like me and you know, hunters are out there and I would be that guy. Okay. Like, what's that rustling over there? Is that a deer? <laughs> no, it's not. It's me. I'm back. Want to play Ghostbusters? Oh, wait, I'm the ghost. <laughs> it would work out great. Yeah. It's a fun place. It's, a, it's peaceful back there. I like it back there. Yeah. Lots of greenery in summertime. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Uh, Katie writes in. Hi there, Tony and Jenny. My name's Katie. I am a fellow Wisconsinite. I live near Milwaukee. Out of my family, my mother and brother seem to be quite sensitive to the paranormal more than the rest of us. Collectively, there are many stories dealing with things we can't explain. So I'll begin with the tamest story that we have. This story in particular isn't a ghost story per se. However, it has been one that has stuck in my mind. My mother has always believed in the paranormal. I believe this can be attributed to having a near-death experience as a preteen. I also think this may have started her sensitivity and abilities. More often than not, my mom couldn't sleep. Many times she would stay up until four in the morning writing in her journal, as my dad was the complete opposite. It didn't surprise me that... On this night, she was wide awake. She was lying down in bed with my dad on a warm summer night, like usual. They had the window open to let the breeze in. She stared out the window at the glittering stars as she continued to uh, stargaze. She noticed what she thought was a plane. She paid no attention to it until did what no plane could do. The star began moving from left to right, almost as if it were a bouncing ball. She tried waking my dad up, which was a ridiculously difficult task, and she asked him if he could see the moving star. He answered groggily, yeah, I see it. He had no interest whatsoever, and promptly fell back asleep. I don't know what her feelings were at this point, but I do know that she watched it continually for hours on end. The star continued volleying back and forth from the same position to the other until she finally fell asleep. In the morning, we found out that my sister-in-law's aunt had passed away. This woman was much more than an aunt to her. She was the mother figure in her life. I believe my sister-in-law's mom committed suicide when she was a little girl. We knew nothing about this woman. We had never even met her. My mom was talking to my sister-in-law at the funeral, and somehow they got to the topic of the moving star. My mom described it as best she could. It looked like that pong game or someone playing tennis. My sister-in-law's eyes became wide with, assort- with astonishment. Unbeknownst to us, her aunt was an avid tennis player. My sister-in-law took this as a sign that her aunt was doing just fine, as did my mother. 
So like I said, this is the most tame story my family has. I'll save the stories about our family's scarier encounters for a later time. Take care, you two. I really appreciate your hard work towards your channel and letting us write in. Remind me to only listen to the show during the day and not before bed. Or at least when my boyfriend comes over to protect me. So I guess you can play tennis with the stars if you're an avid tennis player. Or that was the sign that was given. Okay. Kind of Pong-like? Yeah, I think that's kind of a neat idea. That is very interesting. Kind of like just going back and forth to... I have no idea what would have caused that with the, you know, the... I just have no idea what would have caused that. Optical illusion or just... uh, I think it almost... To me, it kind of falls back into that category again of... Uh, like the bird at the beginning, the hummingbird. It's like, maybe this is just one of those things that are meant to happen at a certain time. Yeah. As a sign to let you know something. I just like the idea of uh, the tennis player being able to play tennis with the stars. Yeah. I think that's a really neat thought. Yeah, I like that. Until one goes out of bounds and hits earth and kills us all. <laughs> well, you know. Take that thought and just destroy it. Thank you for that. <laughs> 855-853-4802. What was that in? It was like, it was, I don't know if it was a TV show or a movie where the, it was like the kids are talking about the stars and twinkle, twinkle little star and how much I loved the stars until I learned that they were giant balls of gas. It would immediately melt me or something. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. I was in something and it was, it was just hilarious because it went from like a real cute sentiment to until I learned. Yeah. You know, what it really was. Anyway, someone will will point that out, I'm sure, either on the message board or in the comment section of this on YouTube or something. Uh, 855-853-4802. That's our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. To share your real ghost story with us, we would love to hear it. Let's go over to uh, Jill in Indiana. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. This is Jill from Indiana. You know, I haven't called in a while. I've been on vacation. So I have been listening to the show and really love it. Keep it up. I was calling to uh, share something that happened to me when I was much younger. Um, I'm 44 now. So I was freshman, sophomore year of college, uh, 2021, something like that. Anyway, this was before I had embraced being a ghost hunter. I knew about ghosts and had run into several through my whole life, but I avoided it. Uh, don't look at them, don't talk at them, walk away. Because if you don't, they follow you and they hound you and they make you crazy. And then other people see you. <laughs> and it doesn't end well. So I still was not uh, acknowledging or seeking it out. However, um, I was with a group of girls. Uh, from college, and we were going to an educational seminar type thing. And at night, we were going through a mall, and somebody decided they wanted to buy a tarot deck. Wouldn't that be fun? And, of course, the education uh, majors wanted to look at it uh, from a logical point of view, and our math major wanted to statistically analyze how many of the cards would fit into one probability. So it was decided that's what we were going to do. 
I was, uh, it was funny though, even these uh, wonderful analytical minds were still afraid to touch the cards. So I was negotiating, uh, you know, we negotiated that I would do the actual dealing of the cards and it was booked. And so we did tarot. And long story short, it was fun um, and surprisingly accurate. We could talk about that some other time, but it was very accurate. Even the analytical girls had to admit that one wrong card in one wrong place would screw the whole thing up. So I had been doing this more and more and more, and it became addictive. And I could almost imagine, I would do it with my eyes closed, and I could almost imagine uh, an unseen helper, uh, a male, and uh, like a spirit guide, I guess people call it. He would help me pick the right card. I would spread them all out, go fish style, and he would guide my hand to pick just the right card. And during that point in my life, my personal life was a complete shambles. So this became super addictive. And even when I wasn't using the cards, I would imagine this unseen friend helping me make good choices in my life. At any time at all, you came up to a decision or a choice you had to make quickly, I would think, uh, hey, where should I go? and I would feel almost a physical push in the direction. Then when I would do the cards, I could almost feel someone, it felt like someone was physically standing behind me, laying one or two hands on my shoulders. And I, I knew from my psychological classes that because my life was so, so screwed up at that point, I was probably creating my own imaginary friend, my own comfort zone. Uh, I knew it was all in my head, but I didn't care because it felt good. It felt good to have a constant, invisible friend who always gave you the best advice. Who wouldn't love that? So I gave him a name. Actually, he kind of told me his name. And the name which came in my head, it took me several times saying it before he said, that's it, which is odd for an imaginary friend. But his name was almost more of a sound, just a sound you would make. It wasn't like a Bob or Joe or anything. He was definitely male. So then it came that if I needed him, I could call his name in my head, and he was there. And uh, this went on for quite a while, I would say almost a year. One day I was at home, and my home life, I was living at home and going to college. My home life was not good at that point. Uh, didn't sleep much at all ever, it, mostly out of fear. And after several days of this, adding to my already stressed out situation, now adds severe sleep deprivation. Two, three, two, three hours a night tops, sporadic, constantly waking up at every sound. I was beyond exhausted and I knew it. I was gonna crack. And my unseen friend came, and I'm, if you can imagine, I'm laying in my bed, and I'm facing, uh, there's a closet door parallel with the headboard. And the door opens, and I'm so exhausted, I figure, oh, look at that, door's opening. And he walks out in physical form, and he's what we would now call a shadow man. He has no features, he's all dark black shadow, no clothing, just, just a feature. He walk, and I'm not afraid. 
I'm too exhausted to be afraid, and I can feel this is my friend. And I just thought, ah, there's my friend. And he walked around the bed, and he cli- I could feel the bed move, and he climbed in bed behind me and scooted up right next to me and spooned the ba- on, on my back, spooned me, laid an arm over my rib cage, and it was so comforting. It was like a blanket of safety. And I was just like, oh, you finally cracked. (laughs) And I didn't care because I was beyond exhaustion. And he said, you sleep, I'll keep watch, and I'll wake you if they come. Because there was someone I was afraid of. And I said, okay. And I slept like a rock. I woke up next morning. I couldn't believe the time. Sun was full up. It was amazing. And I was so happy. And I was like, huh, that was awesome. And I had just been laying, uh, you know, I had just slid into the side, one side of the bed, so the rest of the bed was still made. And when I got up and turned around to adjust the covers, on the other side of the bed behind me, there was an indention of a head in the second pillow. And the comforter that had been snapped tight, you could see a definite outline of a person who had laid there on their side in spoon position, knees bent, and it freaked me out. I lost it. Because <laughs> I knew ghosts were real, but this wasn't a ghost. This was my imaginary friend. Uh, so that freaked me out. The tarot cards got thrown in the drawer. And... The drawer they were in, every time I walked by that dresser, I would feel an immense sadness and longing. And I felt like he kept calling me and he didn't understand why I was so angry with him. And it took a long time before that went away. And it was probably almost a year before I took them back out. And it was a desperate time of need when I decided, you know what, he never gave me bad advice. He never did anything wrong. He always made me feel good and feel safe. So, you know, I had been struggling with, what is this? Is this a ghost? Is this a demon? Is it an angel? Sure, it didn't look like an angel. It didn't have wings. Don't angels have wings? Uh, by the way, they don't. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was just dipping those toes in the water, and that's how I started my long, long road with my spirit guide. And yes, he's still my friend. Yes, he still comes when I call. So um, that's my story. Hope you enjoyed it. The bigger question is, does he still spoon you? (laughs) I think that helped. I mean, obviously that helped her because what she needed more than anything right then was sleep. Sure. So I like it when we have the stories of shadow people that aren't necessarily malevolent, that they Mm -hmm. are doing things that are helpful and positive because I, I, I just I'm so torn on you know the whole shadow person thing are mm-hmm. they good are they bad are they bad that sometimes are good they I get mean, a bad rap they do don't judge shadow people until you get to know them really I mean seriously I'm not joking you're always joking well I am kind of but I'm serious on this one because that's just it you don't know I mean because they're I don't think there is a category for them where they're all the same yeah I don't think all shadow people fall into the same category I, I think it's just another form that 
ghosts, you know, for as broad of a term that is, take. Okay. You know, I think there's there's probably, uh, I think a shadow person is 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 just as broad as the word ghost. Yeah. Where you can go down the line of, it was a, a human ghost at one time, it was a non-human ghost at one time. Same with shadow. I think it's, a, it's just another word for ghost, honestly. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? I would. I think in the past, on some of the past episodes, I've probably leaned more towards no they're malevolent they're Mm -hmm. bad but i'm you know the more i hear the more i'm starting to think you're right that they are just there's a broad spectrum there i just think it's a term that's become popularized if you will in Uh the world of ghosts and in the past when you're talking about a ghost or something paranormal you were kind of limited on your vocabulary of what you could talk about at least in the regular culture of talking you know just every day it's a ghost it's something paranormal there's some figure going around it's a ghost and then the, the term shadow person started floating in there more and more and more because it was being used and then more and more people started going oh yeah that kind of describes more what i saw than ghost okay so i just i think it's it, it's just the fact that it's usable uh-huh and, and more you know accepted that, that we're hearing that term more and more. I don't think there's like an increase in shadow people or anything. I just think it's just another word for ghost. I see what you're saying. So, And maybe there'll be more that pop up. I don't know. But it is a it is a little more descriptive. Yeah, it is. But I, you know, until doing the show, never had heard of shadow people. So I sure. didn't know, is it becoming a household term? Yeah. Just like ghost is, or and ghost it, has been for yeah. a long time. Yeah, and it's really, uh, I think it's a lot to do with the ghost shows and stuff like that, like on TV and such. Okay. And it's been like, oh, shadow people. Okay, yep, there you go. So, that's all that is. Okay. Uh, 855-853-4802, that's our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Jerry writes in, hi, Tony and Jenny, I hope this finds you all uh, great. Uh, I just became an EPP and really enjoy it. Well, thank you, Jerry, for becoming an EPP. This is my second story to submit to you. My first was In Your Face about running into a shadow figure. This one I think Jennifer can really connect to. I really don't know what to call this attachment haunting, I guess. It started when I bought the house I live in now. Well, the house was a lake cabin built in the late 50s, and as far as I know, I'm the first one to live in it on a permanent basis trying to fill it up with furniture and uh, living on a dime. The only real choice I had was to hit the secondhand shops. And around here in Central Texas, they're almost abundant. The house I live in is less than 100 meters from a very large lake, and the area is about 99.9% limestone and nothing but woods around. This may have something to do with it, but I don't know. Of all the items I got, two stand out as having something come with them. The first item was a wash basin from the 19th century. It came with a sound. As I was sitting at my desk working, I heard the unmistakable sound of water being poured, being the only home I went into. The bathroom, which is right next to it, checked the sink and shower. They were both dry. Well, finding nothing that could cause this sound, I went back to work, and no more than two minutes later, the same sound happened again. This time I zeroed in on the wash basin. There are no pipes behind or around it in the walls, etc. I guess this would be a residual haunting. The second item would be a grandfather clock, or the creepy clock, as my nephews call it. They've been known to stop the pendulum and stop the clock. I don't know. It just freaks them out. 
late 20th century. I was again alone in the house. I just keyed the clock. Went out of nowhere, right next to my left ear, I heard, not in my head. I'm standing right here. I could even feel its breath. It was a male voiced and sounded a little urgent or hyper. For some reason, I did not jump, scream, or run like an eight-year-old. did not feel any good or bad vibes. I felt indifference, and I turned towards the voice and said, I can hear you, in a somewhat annoyed voice. I guess this should be an intelligent haunting. Both of these have just been a one-time thing. The house itself, I feel, is not haunted. When you walk in, it feels like a dead battery, but we do get what I feel are things just passing through. Not staying long, and with all the woods and water around, an entity or two have been seen or felt by different family members, but again, they don't stay around. Thanks. Keep the show going. Jerry. I'm glad your house isn't haunted, and it's just passers through, I guess. (laughs) Just stuff you bought. (laughs) Yeah. Well, at least you kind of know, or kind of can narrow down what it is. I mean, the wash basin is one. I don't know if the other voice is tied to the um, grandfather clock or not, but I guess if it becomes a nuisance, I would say estate sale time for those two things. <laughs> it's always eBay. Mm-hmm. Would items sell faster on eBay if you listed them as haunted? Maybe. I wonder if everyone does that just to get items to go quicker. Well, there's those haunted dolls you can get. That's true. We should do a little experiment. We should sell two items on eBay, identical items. List one as being haunted, one not. See what happens. Really? I'd be kind of curious. And then just not sell the items or let people think they bought something that's haunted? I don't think they bought something that's haunted. <laughs> would, that's that, would that be right. dishonest? Yes. Or we could put a curse on it or something. No. <laughs> we're not going to start dabbling and stuff because you're curious. <laughs> Well, it's not that I'm curious. I just don't want to be dishonest with a sale. Oh, so <laughs> dabbling in curses and witchcraft is Yeah, what it's wi- just point of purchase, just being honest about what you're selling someone. Okay. <laughs> we can put the curse on it once it's in the mail carrier's hand. Like, hey, could you come in here for a second? Yeah, okay, just stand right there. Well, we have a different mail carrier. The other mail carrier we could have cursed. Yeah, the other mail, mail carrier would have been completely fine with doing that, too. Charles writes in, hello, Tony and Jenny. I'd like to start off by saying I love your show, and I'm a well set in my new career. I plan on becoming an EPP. I'm an only child, and a couple years ago, I lost my father to cancer, so I had the hardest time in my life preparing his funeral arrangements and funds to pay for it. The day I laid my father to rest, I was on my way home with my wife and son from the cemetery. My wife asked me to stop by the store to pick up some milk for my son. really didn't want to stop at a store after crying for hours and having a very big hole in my heart, but my son did need his milk, so I stopped by the store. Not sure why I did this, but my intention was to only get the milk and go home, but I uh, bought the milk at uh, an $8 Mega Million lotto ticket as well. I'm going to explain the way the ticket looks for a second because I'll mention it again in this letter. The ticket has letters on it to signify how many lines you've played. So if you bought a $1 ticket, you'll have a letter A and five numbers next to it with one mega number. So a total of six numbers. If you buy a $2 ticket, you'll have a A and a B, both with their own set of mixed numbers next to it and so on. Since I bought an $8 ticket, my letters were A through H. When we got home that day, I spent all of my time thinking about my father and falling in and out of sleep until about 10 p.m. that night. At around 10 p.m. that night, I'm asleep and can hear my father's voice in my head tell me to go over 
and over to go check my lotto ticket, which I totally forgot I bought. Got up, got the ticket out of my suit I wore that afternoon, checked the ticket, think nothing of it when I matched up two of the six numbers. I continued to check the rest of the numbers, and to my surprise, I matched five out of the six numbers to only miss the mega number by one digit and missing out on $42 million. At this time, my wife was sleeping next to me, and I screamed, We won! We won $250,000 on Line D. And to this day, I believe Line D stood for D as in Dad. I believe my dad left us a gift on his burial, worst day of my life, to let us know that he was okay and wanted us to be okay as well. Thank you for reading my story. I think that would help cheer me up a little bit. I would think so. And now you can be an EPP for the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would definitely, you know, I'm sure he doesn't say if the... You know, the, the death was... Did he say if the death was sudden? Because I'm just thinking he probably didn't have the extra money just there for the sure. funeral I'm sure and there was a expenses. lot that it went to. Yeah. yeah. Well, he said he, he lost his father to cancer, so I don't know. Okay. It's hard to tell with that sometimes, you know, right. if it's a long-term thing or if it was like, oh, shit, you have cancer, you got a week. Um, you know, <laughs> it can happen like that. I know. So, um, uh, I, I don't know, but... Uh, uh, that's really interesting. I've, I've never heard of... Uh, I, I guess I've heard of that like in movies, but never actually happening in real life. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting story. And I agree. I think it's one of those coincidences. This show's been filled with a lot of interesting paranormal coincidence, uh, coincidences from beyond the grave tonight. Are they coincidences? Well, that's though? the thing. I mean, I, I'm probably... I'm using the term incorrectly. What would be the... Signs? Would signs be the better word to use than coincidence? Because I don't mean coincidence. Coincidence seems to mean happened by complete chance. I think of it as synchronicity. Synchronicity? Mm-hmm. I think that's accurate. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that that, that was going on in a lot of the the, uh, the stories tonight. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. If you have a real ghost story, we'd love to hear it. You can call in at 855-853-4802. Of course, you can also write it on the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. And if you like the show, please become an EPP. That's how we keep the show going, by your support. It's only $5 a month. Get a free bonus episode every single week sent to you via email as a thank you for keeping the show alive. It's an exclusive episode. Some of the best stories that we get in go on our EPP episodes. So please uh, become an EPP. Check it out and you get access to all of our um, back archive as well, which is uh, about 22 episodes. So not bad for five bucks a month. And uh, you keep the show going for a long time to come. You can sign up on the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. <laughs>